I must have had it on very good authority. Sometimes an artist thrives on limitations. For some folks, if you can make every creative choice, you won't make any choice at all. Option paralysis is real. So you set limits on yourself, both as a creative challenge and as a corrective to make sure your initial vision remains unobstructed. The success of the White Stripes is a prime example. Then other times, a force completely outside your control shuts off options and limits your choices for you, requiring you to operate within those new boundaries. The success of the White Stripes is a prime example. I'm Sean Cannon from Third Man Records and Nevermind Media. This is Striped, the story of the White Stripes. Last episode, you heard all about Jack and Meg White striking a deal with sympathy for the record industry, Jack joining the go and that band signing to Sub Pop, and then the White Stripes recording their debut album in January of 99. Now this time around, we're picking up just a couple weeks after that with a band doing a live radio gig. At uh, WDET Studios, which is in uh, the Cass Corridor neighborhood uh, in Detroit. So it's right down the street from the Gold Dollar and the Magic Stick. It's right in the heart of uh, where they were playing. The idea for this performance was that the band would record a live set in advance at the studios of the of the local public radio station. Then that recording would be broadcast later in the week by Willie Wilson, who was a local concert promoter and radio DJ. And there is probably the most prominent figure in Detroit public radio history, a, a gentleman DJ by the name of Ed Love. Um, probably one of the best known jazz DJs of all time. I, I mean, I loved Ed. Ed was this wonderful old curmudgeon. Oh, and that's Willie Wilson, uh, by the way, the, the DJ who was hosting the band that night. He was somebody in the 50s and 60s that Atlantic would actually use to write the liner notes on for like their jazz, you know, jazz records. Yeah, like for the album A Tribute to Courage by jazz bagpiper Rufus Harley. Y yeah, yeah, you heard that right. You're probably wondering, though, why all this deference to Ed Love? Well, that's because once Jack and Meg got loaded into the performance studio and start getting into their first song... They probably play a couple of notes before Ed Love throws a fit. And just saying, who the hell are these guys? What are they doing? I'm trying to do my show. Like, he can see them playing through the studio glass. And I'm sure he's like, what the hell is this? You know... I'm fucking Ed Love. Who the hell are the White Stripes? So they had to stop right there because, well, you know, Ed Love is Ed Love. If you are dead leaves, and after some negotiations, it was eventually decided that the band would come back later that night to record instead, which kind of worked out for them in a weird way because there were some people there with camcorders uh, shooting stuff for what would eventually become the uh, underground music doc Detroit rock movie. Dead leaves and Box, we'll tell you that I'm coming home. And I think I'm gonna stick around for a while so you're not alone. For a while so you're not alone. 
the best part for, for Jack was he didn't know that they were going to film, that, that they were planning on filming for that. And him and Meg kind of just showed up in regular clothes. We're like, oh, shit. So when they came back, they came back in their red and white. I was like, that would have been bad if we gotten, you know, filmed playing not in red and white. Well, a man with a microphone can tell you what he loves the most. And you know why you love that all if you're thinking of the Holy Ghost. If you're thinking of the Holy Ghost. The white stripes there. Meg and Jack, and I want to thank you guys for coming down. And uh, you can catch them at the Hamtramck Blowout. They're going to be playing March 13th at, uh, I believe it's Paychecks. Is that correct? That's right. That's correct. And again, I want to thank you guys for coming down. And We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, First, yes, that was the band performing Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground back at the beginning of 1999 even though their debut record wouldn't come out for months, and that song wouldn't be properly released until years later on their third album, White Blood Cells. But more importantly, you heard Willie Wilson mention that show for the Hamtramck blowout at Paychex on March 13th, 1999, which would become one of those absolutely formative and transformative moments I mentioned at the end of the last episode. That's because between when this live WDET set aired February 13th and the Paycheck show that was scheduled for March. There's kind of these rumors going around that the band is, is broken up. They're not going to do anything or that the, the 13th was going to be their last show. Willie Wilson, the DJ that, that we were talking about, who the band played on his, his show, he had, he had announced that on his radio show. Wendy Case, who was a, a local... A music journalist for the Detroit News. She had a weekly column. Um, she had reported that the band was done or this was going to be their last show. Um, so it was kind of floating around. When I asked Wendy Case about the article she wrote, uh, that specific edition of her column had faded from memory. It, it was 20 years ago, after all. But she knew there had to at least be something there. Well, it's funny because I, I had no clue that I'd written that. Um, I had no memory of it. But I'm pretty thorough. And I'm very responsible to uh, the role of a journalist. So I must have had it on pretty good authority or I never would have printed it. I must have had it on very good authority. So I have no clue where that came from. The wages of time have kind of erased it from my memory, but I'm sure someone who is close to the band must have told me that there's no way I would have printed it. And even talking with Jack, they had they had scheduled this gig, and he had uh, called me and said, Meg doesn't want to do the gig. Meg doesn't want to do the gig. Um, and I don't want to put the people, the promoters who put this show on, I don't want to put them out. So let's put together a band. There was, you know, that was when the rumors, and they weren't, you know, completely untrue. Uh, that's Dave Buick again from Italy Records in the Go. I mean, I guess they were untrue, but they were, you know, there was a reason for people to think because we thought that maybe the White Stripes weren't going to do the do the show. So Jack and Ben and I put together, uh, you know, a little one off band that we were going to play and fill that slot. And we had this this name Brown Cardboard. And we just learned kind of a set of covers. 
we practiced for a week or two. Um, and I was stoked. I was ready to play. And so this is all part of the Hamtramck. Uh, it was called the Hamtramck Blowout. So it was a music festival put on by the Metro Times, which is the free local weekly in Detroit. And they had something like 90 bands playing at 10 different clubs. And so the night before, the 12th, um, Jack's other band, Two Star Tabernacle, played at Paychecks. And that was their last show ever. And later that night, Jack's other other band, The Go, played at Motor Lounge. And it was, without a doubt, the greatest show that band ever played. Like still to this day, it was phenomenal. While we don't know how those rumors started circulating, whether it was crossed wires, something bubbling beneath the surface, or even savvy promotion gone awry, because, hey, uh, the henchmen and the Detroit Cobras both broke up before getting back together soon after. What we do know is that on March 12th, 1999, Jack ends things with Two Star Tabernacle, has an amazing show with The Go the same night, and is prepared to play this brown cardboard show with Ben Blackwell and Dave Buick the next day. So as far as where things stand with the White Stripes at this point, it's anybody's guess. And we can't forget that even though Jack and Meg had recorded their first album, it wasn't going to come out for months, not to mention the fact that things were still riding pretty high with The Go. I, at that time, had thought, well, okay, Jack's, Jack, the, the Go's album's coming out on Sub Pop, and they're going to tour like crazy around that. Five guys in a van playing rock and roll, like... That was the that was the odds on bet. That's what you would. That's what everyone would have suggested. I think. So again, who who knows? The White Stripes might not be done, but it, it certainly sounds like they're taking a back seat. <laughs> oh, man, it's it's wild uh, how just one day can change everything. The day of that show, Meg called Jack and was like, "I want to do the show." I got a call from Jack saying Meg wants to play the show. So my initial feeling was, oh man, we'd rehearsed all this week. We were going to play this show, but that very, very quickly subsided and was like, well, shit, I just want to see the White Stripes play. And so that day, Meg and Jack rehearsed before the show, which is pretty odd um, to play, to kind of rehearse and then go play maybe like six or something in the afternoon. And then we went to paychecks again second night in a row went to paychecks and uh they they played the show and so that was really the show that i that, that like i remember and i'm sure blackwell if he didn't mention it he would if you asked him about it like that was the show that really you know made me realize that the white stripes were going to be a huge band <laughs> yeah see a lot can change in 24 hours now, Willie Wilson, who we talked to earlier and who booked the show, remembers the vibe before the band got on stage. And it sounds like those breakup rumors clearly had an effect. You didn't know at that time if they were just going to be like, okay, we said we'd play the show, we're broken up, we're done. You know, it's kind of like people were sort of on eggshells because they didn't know what to expect. You know, are they going to blow up on stage and just walk off? That nervous, tentative energy shifted quickly, though. Here's Blackwell. There's video of this show, and uh, this will be in the vault package. And I think you can kind of see, while the band is setting up on stage, 
Willie's standing there kind of waiting for them to be ready so he can announce them. And uh, there's a moment where Jack kind of taps Willie on the shoulder and he, he like leans over and whispers something into his ear and you can't, you can't hear or tell what it is. But then Willie comes and says, hey, everyone, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for coming out. Cheers for the, the bands that played before. Um, I, I just want to let everyone know. This is, as they told me, not their last show. So thank heavens for that. The White Stripes. I'm, I'm assuming that's what Jack whispered to Willie. Like, hey, this isn't our last show. And they go and they break into uh, start the set with Broken Bricks. And they nail it. It's really, really bombastic. I'm standing stage right watching the whole thing. And uh, after that song, Jack is tuning up and he says, I went back to, I had an old diary and looked back at this. And so what I remembered Jack saying after that first song was, this ain't no last show. We're going to rock and roll forever. Which I thought sounded a little bit cliche coming from Jack. I didn't think he would speak in such terms. But when I unearthed the video and looked back at it, I was like, wait, I got to see what he actually said. And like, I, I misremembered where I thought he said it. So I'm going through the whole video. I don't have the patience to just watch it from uh, beginning to end. Um, but he says, this ain't no last show. We're going to rock and roll as long as you let us. Which you might remember from the very first moments of the very first episode of this show. I think the sentiment is so much more befitting of the white stripes in terms of that. Um, it's not pompous. It's not, we're going to rock and roll forever. It's not this, Hey, Hey, my, my rock and roll will never die. Um, it's almost a uh, deferential to the crowd. We'll rock and roll as long as you let us. Once that announcement was made, according to Willie, there was an instant change in the room. You know, everyone was relieved and it's like, hey, good, let's just let's just party. And that's exactly what that sold out paychecks crowd did. The show was 100% one of the best White Stripe shows ever to happen. Um, there was the moment when uh, the band is playing Sugar Never Tasted So Good. And at the time, it's available as a locally released 7-inch 45. That's it. It's the, the band's second single is Lafayette Blues, Sugar Never Tasted So Good. There's the kind of pre-chorus part uh, if the wrinkle that is in your brain has given you quite a sting, do your fingers have become a crane pulling on these puppet strings? The crowd starts singing along. And that was not the kind of thing, you know, that we would experience and witness in Detroit in 1998 at, you know, a uh, punk rock, garage rock show, you know, like that kind of enthusiasm like it was, it wasn't just like people that were playing together and like this small scene of the people that were making up the bands. It was everyone there. Yeah. We had friends there. It was like people, acquaintances, but these people singing along weren't 
folks that anyone knew. It was kind of just this weird upswell of other people in town had picked up on this. And Jack has described it and I think he he talks in the Detroit Rock City book about it being a very touching moment. That that was a sentiment that you didn't really see from these kind of gruff, you know, rock and rollers hanging out at the bar. And they're singing along to a pop song. This isn't this isn't heavy plodding guitars and and big thud drums. This is like super sweet, you know, almost saccharine. There's a little smile that like crosses Jack's face as he steps away from the mic and lets the crowd take it. That was the first time a crowd ever sang a White Stripes song. To talk now where there's every football stadium from, you know, Pop Warner up to the NFL is playing Seven Nation Army and there's stadiums worth singing along. It's kind of beautiful that it started at this small little dank bar in Hamtramck. Now that live clip you heard a second ago, you couldn't quite hear the fullness of the crowd singing because of the mic placements, but but seeing it happen, I, it was something. And I'm not trying to do the hard sell on you, but like Blackwell mentioned, that whole paycheck show is in the White Stripes 20 vault package, and you can get it at thirdmanrecords.com. And really, uh, it, it's worth seeing, not just because there's a crowd singing along, but the show itself ends up being sort of a a line of demarcation. It felt like a before and after, like there was the White Stripes before that paycheck show and the White Stripes after, that there was a, um, from Meg, I saw a newfound assertiveness and confidence behind the drums where maybe she was uncertain before. And Jack, I think, saw that there was uh, a connection with the audience that, that previously had not shown itself. And even though Wendy Case, who we talked to earlier, doesn't remember the specifics of that paycheck show, hearing her break down what was special about the band really, really tracks with what Blackwell just said. Jack and Meg together had a, an undeniable magic in the sense that, you know, they kind of communicated with each other the way twins communicate. The chemistry was really something. It was just, you know, we'd seen other people do this stuff. We'd seen, you know, folks do the sort of uh, bruising two-man blues rock thing, but not like this. It was sort of on on a deeper level. You know, what happened between Jack and Meg was just kind of alchemy. All right. So, Instead of March 13th, 1999 being their last show, it ends up being a galvanizing force for the band, uh, something that would ultimately help propel Jack and Meg forward. And now, after Jack being in three bands for months, uh, Two Star Tabernacle, The White Stripes, and The Go, he's just in two bands that are both showing some real promise, uh, The White Stripes and The Go. But about that... He's in two bands through... Uh, April of 99 and then he Jack gets kicked out of the go 
Uh, yeah. And when I asked Blackwell why Jack got kicked out, he wasn't exactly sure, but he had an idea. You know, as much as I was around at the time was not ever made clear to me. And so everything that I know is, is somewhat or considerably after the fact. Um, there was a point made, Sub Pop at that time was very, very keen on contracts. Like very, very like get it signed, get the people to sign, blah, 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 all this stuff. And so I know before Jack was kicked out, there was a whole lot of conversation as to whether or not Jack needed to sign the contract with Sub Pop. And there was a clause in the Sub Pop contract of right of first refusal, which was if you sign the deal with Sub Pop, they have the right of first refusal to whatever your next musical project is. Anything. doesn't matter that the White Stripes are already going. They would have the right of first refusal for that. And if you go by the story in the book... Now, the book he's talking about is the oral history Detroit Rock City, compiled by Steve Miller. I think maybe one of the guys at Sub Pop says kind of tips Jack off and says, maybe you shouldn't sign this. Like he was already aware of the white stripes and just like sub pop ultimately probably would have never done anything about it. And, and I think Jack caught it too. Or if he didn't, if the guy from sub pop didn't hip him to it, Jack caught it and just thought it seemed kind of weird. Like, wait a minute. Like if I sign this deal, you guys get the white stripes too. That seems, you know, just like this tiny little thing. Like, uh, maybe I just don't sign. So that could have been all of it, but it does seem like there were other things at play too, according to Dave, who you might remember from the last episode, ended up joining the go right before Jack did. Um, I wasn't really super involved in it. I, you know, I think it was, you know, there was two strong personalities that were, you know, the perfect guys to lead a band. And uh, so, you know, sometimes one band is, is too small for, for that kind of, you know, a leader. So, but again, like I said, I wasn't really a part of that decision-making process. Whatever the rationale behind this development, the biggest takeaway isn't in those details of, of why Jack White got kicked out of the go. It's the simple fact that, as Blackwell says, By April 99, he's not in the band anymore. Which ultimately... I don't know if anyone's ever said this or put this theory out there or just connected it, but that's ultimately the best thing that could have happened, that had to happen. If that doesn't happen, the white stripes don't get to be Jack's focus. Because remember, at that point, the white stripes album is recorded, but it seems, it seems kind of up in the air what the focus of the band is going to be. You know, they had played the Paychecks show and they said, this isn't our last show. But what what focus is it going to take? What What is it going to shape up to be? So with that taken out of the way, the, the go removed from the picture, I think Jack had to focus on the White Stripes. That was the, the last thing for him to attend to. Down 30, oh, 
With Jack and Meg riding high and now laser focused on the white stripes, it's easy to think, yeah, that paycheck show, that's the moment from 1999. But really, it's only a moment because the band's getting ready for some seriously uncharted territory. But you're gonna have to wait till next time to hear about it because that's all we've got for this episode of Striped, the story of the White Stripes. I want to say a special thanks to Ben Blackwell, Ben Swank, and the rest of the Third Man crew. We get production assistance from Mark Charles and Kojin Tashiro, and additional scoring in this episode is by Lone Wolf Gang. You know, the biggest thanks of all goes to the White Stripes, because without them, none of this would be possible. I'm your host and producer, Sean Cannon. I'll see you next time for the last episode of Stripe Season 1. Jack was over there with Greg Simas, and, you know, I I just went over to get grab something for a column or something I was doing, and he was just so geeked. He was like, you know, I can't believe it. Like, everything is changing, and uh, <laughs> and it's funny because I, I left the house, and I was in a hurry to get somewhere, and I wound up getting into a car accident about a block away. And, uh, so I called those guys and I said, can you come down here and, you know, help me jack up my car or whatever. And the next time I went over to that house, the front bumper of the car I was driving was nailed to his living room wall. Cause it was red. <laughs> this crushed bumper of my car. In fact, I think I had to get it back cause the insurance company wanted it. <laughs>